everyone. You're listening to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. My name is Kate Copsey and I am the host of the show. You can contact me from my webpage, katecopsey.com or through America's Web Radio Station site. America's Homegrown Veggie Show is sponsored by Bonnie Plants, so thank you to them. This morning, we are going to talk with Dee Nash, the author of a just-published book, The 20 to 30-something Gardening Guide. Good morning, Dee. Good morning, Kate. Thank you for having me. You're more than welcome. So let's start a little about your background in gardening. Have you always gardened or has it and has it always been in the south because you're in Oklahoma, right? Right. I'm in Oklahoma and I've always gardened in what's called the middle south. I think I started gardening when I was, well, I started seriously gardening when I was about 19 or 20, but I followed my grandmother around when I was little. And um, she lived in northern Oklahoma, right up by the Missouri border. So her climate was very different from the climate I garden in now. Oh, so how much difference did that make? Um, you know, I know you've got beautiful red soil down there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's beautiful, but we definitely have red soil. It's all that trapped iron in it. Um, I think I started out here in such a different way than she did because her garden got much more water. It got much more rainfall. Here in the middle of Oklahoma, I kind of live in the north-central part of it, we don't get nearly as much rainfall. And I've also gardened further south in Oklahoma, which is much more like Texas, for example. So, And if you go on the west side of the state, it has almost all clay soil, and on, you know, I-35 is kind of the demarcation line. It splits us right in half, and it's also where the deciduous forest starts. And I now garden on that side, and we have sandy soil and rocks. Oh. So very different soils, very different climates, even within one state. Oh, I, I would imagine so. Um, so I guess you're getting the cold weather as well, right, this winter? <laughs> Right. We just had snow this weekend, and, you know, i got to say I'm tired of it. I appreciate the moisture, but I wish it would come in rainfall instead of snow. We're supposed to get more snow tomorrow. Oh, yeah. You know, we're lucky if we get one snowfall per year. We've had at least five snow days and, for and my daughter. Yeah, and so, so do you think that's put um, your gardening year a little behind? Because I think up here in, in the New Jersey area, we're talking maybe we're probably two weeks behind right now, and I guess everybody's just still waiting to see what happens next. <laughs> I agree. I think we're two weeks behind too. I think, you know, we're, and that's I've waited to start my seeds inside because normally I start them by the last week in February, but because the weather's been so wonky, I decided I was just going to wait and start them the first week of March or even the second week of March. Because I'm not sure this doesn't, you know, from what I can see further out, you know, you can't really predict the weather too well far out. But it looks like we're going to have kind of a cool spring and maybe a wet spring like we did last year. What did you guys have? Did you have a wet spring last year? Uh, yeah, well, actually, we were still in Ohio, I think, last uh, last year. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, but uh, you know, I, I think with gardening, everything is just every year is a, a little different. Um, but let's get. Um, obviously, there, there's a lot of interest in getting kids into gardening, and particularly preschool and school age kids. But your book is geared more to the twenty thirty year old, which would be what the the millennial generation. And um, I don't think we've addressed gardening to them very well. Um, 
They're actually the second largest group that buys gardening items from nurseries and from box stores, um, and yet we haven't really addressed them directly. I think they have special circumstances. You know, that a lot of them grew up in a daycare situation and went to school because both sets of parents worked, and they may have made, you know, like a sunflower in a cup and brought the sunflower home and tried to plant it again, and it didn't work out so well. And that may be their only experience, really, with gardening. And I, you know, they're very interested in gardening, but they don't have a lot of time. And so I have kids in that age group, and I was kind of worried about their friends, if that makes sense. So so if they had that uh, disastrous experience as a as a child, um, what do you think is is maybe drawing them in um, that now? I mean, is it is it the same type of thing that's pretty much drawing everybody else into, particularly the food side of gardening, like the food insecurities and wanting to try different varieties of food that you can't maybe get in the supermarket? I think it's definitely about food security. Um, I think there's a couple of things driving them. One is that they're digital natives, which means that they have worked on iPads or tablets or computers for from the time they were little bitty kids. So they have always, they're the most plugged-in generation, and I think a lot of this comes from wanting to unplug. You know, they like to go to yoga. They like to exercise in ways where you need to be very present, and so I think it's hard for them um, to be so plugged in all the time. You know, that's that focused attention. That's one thing. And I think the other thing is that they are worried about the food supply. I mean, all of us who understand the food supply at all are worried. When you dye salmon that's farmed with a dye to make it look pink, there's something wrong. You know, when you're, when you're growing crops that are just a monoculture, that's something wrong. Yeah. Let alone GMOs and all the other stuff. And, and of course, it's always in the, the news kind of what's, what's kind of happening. Um, but, you know, most um, 20 to 30-year-olds, uh, most of them have left the family home, but they may not be able to buy their own home yet, particularly, you know, with everything being so incredibly expensive. Um, but so how does um, their living situation and financial situations dictate what, if anything, they'd like to do in the garden? Well, I think like all of us, they want to load their plates up and start too big. Um, instead, I suggest that especially if they live in an apartment, which I did, I lived in life and I gardened at both places, and I used containers at one place and I had a small yard at the other, so I used raised beds. So the book starts out with a few containers, and I really stress that I want them to grow in such a way that they don't feel like they have to grow all their food, just grow some of their food, grow some things that they really love, and that way they can have that experience. And once you build on that, you know, once you have that experience, you can build upon it, and you can make it better. And then if you want to add more containers later, you can. And I tell them about how to do that on a balcony and a patio, you know, all different living situations, because truthfully, most of them are living in condominiums or apartments when they're in their 20s. By the time they're in their 30s, they may have a house. Um, but they also may have a family, and that's a whole different set of gardening issues. And I think that's where the gardening with kids maybe um, re- really does make a, a difference. You know, if you've got young kids around, um, getting them outside. Um, but unless these guys are extremely motivated and decide that a rooftop uh, garden is maybe the only option they've got, um, mm-hmm. so you said you think that containers are probably the most practical way of of getting started. 
I do think containers are the most practical way to get started because you can choose your soil, you can buy the plants already at your local nursery, and you can choose your containers. And I tell them what, you know, the the basics of containers, which ones are better for certain things. And so I think that's the best way to start. But say you have a north-facing balcony in an apartment. That would not be the easiest or best place to try to grow things. So maybe you could get into community gardening. That's why there's a whole section of the book on community gardening, too, because I want to give them options. I think they're a very smart generation. They're the best educated generation that we've ever turned out. And they're smart. They can read the information and go look for more stuff online and find a community garden if that's what it takes. And are, are there any particular maybe vegetables that they usually gravitate towards first, maybe heirloom tomatoes or peppers or something like that? Right. They usually start with tomatoes, I think, and I think there's a good reason for that. Grocery stores, even really good grocery stores, still have to ship tomatoes unripe and, unless they're grown in a greenhouse situation. And those grown in a greenhouse situation are just one or two particular varieties. So... Everyone loves a good tomato. Well, I shouldn't say everyone. Almost everyone loves a good tomato. So I think they grow tomatoes. I think they like herbs. I know that my daughters that are in their 20s and 30s are very interested in herbs, fresh ones for cooking, and they want them right outside their door, and they want it to be easy. And although I don't like the word easy in gardening because I think it's been stressed too much and gardening does take work and a little bit of commitment, um, you know, growing herbs in containers is not hard. And it can be done. And I, I, I think herbs particularly, you know, when they're done in containers and they're close by the backyard, I mean, no, nobody wants to put on the galoshes to go out and find something with a flashlight. And that way you don't, don't use it. Right, yes. exactly. You want any garden that you do, especially for any type of food, you want it very close so that you don't have to go and out to the effort to go and take care of it. Because let's be truthful, you're not going to take care of it. I made that mistake myself. And that's one of the things I try to stress in the book. I tell people about the mistakes I've made because I want them to not make those same ones, you know. Um, we all make mistakes in the garden, and that's just part of learning, and then you move on. Oh, I, I think so. I don't think you can probably call yourself a real gardener unless you've made a whole bunch of mistakes in, in the past, and particularly with maybe the choice of plants or something like that, things that, that you think look cute in a pot and then suddenly um, become enormous. I think my, my first one was, um, boy, did that, Angelica, that's what it was. Oh, Angelica, uh, and it got yeah, kind of about two foot, really two foot high the first year, and the next year it just overtook <laughs> the doorway. <laughs> I mean, you know. Yeah, and, no yeah, kind of read the label. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think that happens to everyone, um, but we can learn from our mistakes, and that was that's one more thing I want to stress about this generation. They've been in school their whole lives, and in school you do a lot of learning and test-taking, and a lot of them are perfectionists. And so I think sometimes when they approach gardening, they see it as a means to an end. They want that tomato or they want that pepper. And you need to look at gardening as a process, as a life process, and also a skill that can be learned. It's not, you know, if you fail at it the first time, then, you know, it's okay. Plants aren't that expensive. And so just go buy another tomato plant. It's not, you know, everybody fails at it and it's okay. It's not like taking a test. And nobody's looking over your shoulder either. 
But it is disappointing if you get sort of a few tomatoes out of something um, and you get that real taste and then the thing starts to suffer maybe from um, a blight or, or something like that. Um, do, do you may, maybe in, in your book bring, bring up how to address it? Things do happen. Yes, I do. I have a whole thing on bugs and pests and diseases. There's a whole section. So I wanted people to feel like they had a resource to look at, and I also tell them where to also go online. Because I garden organically, I use organic methods, and the truth is if you get tomato blight, then you're going to lose your tomato crop that year, which is something everyone in the East Coast has faced several times now. Um, We don't get tomato blight so bad in the middle of the United States. Um, but, you know, it could happen. It could happen yeah. any time. Well, partic- so. partic- particularly in a cool, wet summer, which um, just just happens. And there's nothing that you can really do about that. But, you know, we need to go for our first commercial break here. But we will be okay. back talking more with Dee Nash about the 2030-somethings in the garden. America's homegrown veggies will be back in just a moment. When gardening is part of your life, it brings so much. Healthy eating, the freshest, most local produce, and playing in the dirt. At BonniePlants.com, you'll find all you need to succeed. When you grow Bonnie veggie and herb plants in beds or containers, you'll know where your food comes from. Homegrown veggies and herbs ready for cooking, eating, and enjoying. And you did it. So get growing with Bonnie Plants. Hi, I'm Paisley McDonald, and I'd like to invite you to listen to my show, At Home with Paisley, every week, Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern, for practical advice and stylish living for your home and office. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, Q-U-I-K Stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. Remember, you can catch up with us on Facebook at America's Homegrown Veggies. And if you miss any shows, you can find them on a web, America's Web Radio Station site. And you can find them on iTunes and you can also find them on Stitchers. And this morning we are talking with T. Nash, whose brand new book uh, is the 20. 20- to 30-something guide to gardening. And we talked a little deep about what gets the um, this group into gardening um, and a little about their lifestyle. So let's turn specifically to the apartment dweller. Um, they've got very limited space, um, and we're going to assume that they get maybe a reasonable amount, amount of life, uh, light. So what we, we said containers were good. I would imagine that's the only option for um, an apartment dweller, right? Yes, I think I think you're going to have to grow in containers in an apartment, and you're going to have to use methods where you grow things up vertically. And there are all different types of containers now. Container gardening has gotten so big that several companies have devoted um, their entire 
you know, line to containers and like smart pots is one and grow boxes. That's another one. Earth boxes is another one. And they are specialty containers designed specifically for apartment dwellers and small home dwellers. So how do the apartment ones differ from maybe the, um, the ones that somebody would use maybe in a backyard? Well, you're only going to have a very small space to garden on, and you have to be careful because if you're on a third-floor apartment, you need to check your lease, for for instance, to see can you grow on the edges of the balcony. Some older apartments will let you, some won't. You also need to think about your support, and you probably want to arrange your um, containers because even if you choose a very lightweight container, they're still heavy, and so you want to choose your containers so that they run along the supports of the balcony, which is you know probably the edges on the two sides. And the other thing is, is you want to choose really good potting soil, and you don't want to have to feed them a lot. So there's a lot more to container gardening in an apartment than you would think. And and I guess um, I know there's a lot of varieties now um, that are being brought out for um, containers. Um, what what are some of the most popular ones? Maybe that people would would want to to grow in in particularly in a container. How much can you get in it? Well, there's there's whole. I mean, I drew a specific um, design for container gardens in the book. And I also mentioned some of the varieties that are chosen for containers. There's even a new variety of corn, but I would have to look it up for you. Um, it's it's just been brought out. I know I know there's one from Burpee called On Deck Corn. Yes, On Deck. That's the that's it. That's the one. And I think you know for it, you can probably if you had a big enough container, you could perhaps put three corn plants in that container because they're very vertical, and so they don't take up a lot of space you know, wide, but they take up a lot of space growing, you know, up and down. Although I've seen that corn, and it's not that tall. It's about, the one I saw was about three feet, and it was starting to tassel, which means it's getting ready to form ears. And that's exciting. And then there are all kinds of really cool tomato plants. I think there's one called Tom Thumb that's a small tomato plant that's made for container gardening. So there's, they're, they're really looking, you know, hybridizers are really looking to try to help um, gardeners growing containers. And are they gen- generally as productive, um, these ones for containers, as the ones that are grown in a regular garden soil? Well, yes, I think they can be just as productive because we've seen that with square foot gardening, with raised bed gardens. Um, you can grow intensively in a small space and grow quite a bit. But like with corn, for example, you're going to get maybe two ears per stalk. So you've got to make the decision as a gardener, do you want to have corn? Is it that important to you to get only maybe, okay, so if you grow three of them, that's, you know, six ears of corn, and, if you know, that's only like three meals for two people. So do you want to take that amount of space up in your garden for something that isn't going to give you much production value back? On the other hand, you could grow bush, bush beans or vining beans, and you could get a lot more. Does that make sense? Oh, sure. Um, and are there any maybe um, issues with, um, you know, the aesthetic side of gar- gardening? Um, I mean, I know most contain, if you go to floral containers, there, there are definite um, rules like there's the, the 
the the star of it and then the fillers and the spillers type type idea um right. sh- can those be incorporated into container food gardens sure although i would here's how i would look at it i would do it you know you can do that same thriller filler spiller but you can do it with three containers instead of just one container so one of your containers could be your thriller like say vining beans you know green beans for example and you could do a filler and a spiller of something else so say um, a bush tomato plant could be a filler and a spiller could be an herb like a trailing type of thyme so you could group all those together in one portion of the deck and that way you could see you know some really pretty aesthetics along with getting your food. And herbs are always pretty. Um, it's very, you know, even when they go to bloom stage, they're still really attractive and they attract pollinators, which is another bonus. And, of course, if you're in an apartment, those summer vegetables always do need um, pollinators. Is that ever an issue um, in, in a garden, uh, an apartment that you maybe wouldn't get the pollination up there? Yeah, I think it's an issue. Um, it depends upon what you're growing. You know, corn is wind-pollinated, so um, you might take your hands and run them across the tassels to get them to pollinate the ears if you decided to grow corn. Um, tomatoes, um, you know, you might have a little more trouble. I, you know, really a lot of things are wind-pollinated, so it's not as much trouble as you might think. And actually, unless you know, most apartments, unless you're up on the 10th floor, you're going to get pollinators. And and what what about maybe um, the succession planting? I mean, when I've tried square foot gardening, one of my biggest beefs is that there's not enough room for if the peas are going to be late before you put the beans in. Um, would that type of thing, particularly if you've got um, containers, um, would would that maybe be an issue? Maybe your lettuce is still being productive and you really want to get the green beans in? Or do you just go for a summer crop generally? Um, I think it depends on what you like best and what part of the country you live in. If you live in a rainy part of the country that has a long spring, I would go more for spring crops and do some lettuce in one container and then later on have a different container if you want to bring in green beans. And then your lettuce will get finished and then you can sow another, you know, group of green beans in there. Because with like bush beans, you want to grow them every two weeks if you want a succession of beans. Um, but one thing I wanted to point out is that we should also grow flowers with our other um, crops because you want those containers to be attractive too. So um, I think that ups the attractiveness. And if you use simple flowers, you're going to attract more pollinators, which is good too. That was part of the last question, but still I thought of it while we were talking about this too. Okay. Um, and I think, um, you know, so certainly if you're in an apartment, can you use the, the top of that to have draping plants? Like maybe the, uh, the upside down tomato comes to mind. Yeah, I I didn't have any luck at all personally with the upside-down tomato bags. I I just didn't. I think it gets too hot and too dry in my climate too fast. But, yes, you can use – you can. I mean, there are a lot of plants that will drape down, including vining squashes, um, cucumbers. You know, there's uh, melons. You can do a lot of those as trailing plants too if you want to but you've got to be careful because you don't want your plants to continue to trail down the balcony and into your neighbor that's below you 
So oh. <laughs> there's, you know, there's a balance to everything. Uh, and, and so what, what about um, maybe watering these things? Does it take an inordinate amount of time? And will be, if both, um, may, maybe they're out all, all day, um, how do you get to the watering side, side of all these things? Well, watering for an apartment, it depends on how many containers you decide to grow. And once again, I suggest you start small, you know, start with three. And that's a good place to start. And make sure they're big enough because the bigger the container, the longer it stays moist. Because you've got to remember if you, you know, if you're on the ground, containers evaporate faster than in-ground plants anyway. But if you're on a balcony, you're getting all that wind. And so you need to be careful that they don't dry out. So with watering, there's certain considerations. One thing that I never thought about before, even though I lived in an apartment, is that sometimes they don't have an outside spigot for people to water. And so that's something to consider. My apartment did have one because I had a washer and dryer. If you don't have an outside spigot and you only have three pots, you can water with almost anything you want to use. You know, a pitcher from your kitchen will work for that matter. But say you have some, say you've really gotten into container gardening on your balcony. You need to have, there's a special device that you can put on your kitchen sink that will make it, it's an adapter that will make it adaptable for a hose. And so you can do that and have your hose like coiled up out on your deck and then just pull it in to, you know, do it with the water on your um, kitchen sink. So that's another idea. And you ought to be careful, too, because you don't want to overwater everything. You don't want to splash the people below you that are barbecuing. I guess with watering, um, if it goes over, over the top, um, you know, maybe it would drip down un- underneath. So do you still have to have maybe sources underneath these things, or, or do you use self-watering self, uh, containers? Well, the self-watering containers like the grow box and earth box would solve your problem as far as because you only fill up that water um, reservoir like once a week. And so that would solve the problem of worrying about splashing onto your neighbor's balcony. Um, but the other thing is that they don't suggest saucers anymore for containers. Um, that's something that used to be suggested, and now they've said that it actually traps water. You know, I say if you live in a dry climate and you want to use saucers, I don't think it's going to hurt something. But if you grow in a wet climate like Seattle or Portland or someplace like that, um, I don't know about New Jersey, but if you do, if it's wetter there, you might want to think about the fact that saucers can trap bacteria and mold. Ooh, I would never have thought about that. Uh, maybe if you put gravel on, on it so that it could just catch the the excess water. Um, and disperse it. Yes, yeah. That, that's not a bad idea. You could put some decorative stones around the bot, you know, bottom of the container, and that would disperse the water so it didn't just run off into your neighbor's balcony. Yeah, and you know, I say I've I've found one or two um, different sorts of containers um, that that you can put outside, um, and, and the smart pots, of course. I mean, they they don't have to be expensive. The containers that um, that you're using, right? I mean, it doesn't have to be a the, formal container. The great thing about smart pots, which are made in Oklahoma, actually, Ooh. is that um, they can fold up. So. If you get done at the end of the season and you want to pull your potting soil out and store it in a trash can over the winter, you can do that. And they aren't expensive at all. They don't cost hardly anything. And then there's another one that's new on the another one called the Hula Perfect Planter. And it's another um, alternative to smart pots. 
and it also folds up. And I'm going to be testing those this year. I got some in the mail, and so I'm going to test them and see how good they are. They look good. Yeah. They have holes along the outside edge. So oh, that I think that's another alternative. Yeah, that's, uh, that sounds, sounds like a fun thing to be to be trying. But, you know, we need to take another quick commercial break here. But I want to remind you, you're listening to America's Homegrown Veggies, and we will be back with more from Dean Nash about the 20 to 30-something gardener, and we will be right back. When gardening is part of your life, it brings so much. Healthy eating, the freshest, most local produce, and playing in the dirt. At BonniePlants.com, you'll find all you need to succeed. When you grow Bonnie veggie and herb plants in beds or containers, you'll know where your food comes from. Homegrown veggies and herbs ready for cooking, eating, and enjoying. And you did it. So get growing with Bonnie Plants. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, Q-U-I-K Stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. You're back listening to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I am the host of the show, and this morning we are talking with Dee Nash about gardening with the 20 to 30-somethings. And Dee, we covered the containers, and actually in the break we were talking about grow bags um, just a little bit, which are are similar to the smart bags, um, but one is cloth and the other is disposable at the end of the season. Um, did you have a view as to which one you thought was better, or have you tried both of those ideas? I haven't tried both of them. I've tried the Smart Pots, and I'm really excited about the new Big Bag Bed because it's more of a raised bed than just a container. You know, it's big. It, in fact, they have three sizes now, but the big size has 13.5 square feet of growing space, and that's pretty cool. I mean, it's something neat when you can just open up a pot and throw some compost and potting soil in it, and it's as big as a raised bed. That's and, awesome. Yeah, and I, I think the cost um, is is a lot. Is they're, they're a lot cheaper than buying a ceramic ceramic pot or con- container as well. And and as you say, they they're, they're really great ideas. Um, but okay, so we've done we've done the container. Let's graduate mm-hmm. from the container to a larger space. Assuming that um, the, these guys have got um, they've got hooked on on garden, gardening and they want to go up from a container to something else. Um, if they've got a small backyard that's sunny, um, how about raised beds? Is is that better maybe than just tilling the ground? I think it's better for a couple of reasons. Um, you can make a very classic looking garden space with raised beds. It's very neat and orderly looking. And if you're going to go out and sit on your patio and have a drink 
or eat a steak or whatever it is that you do, um, you're going to want to look out at a backyard that's attractive. And you don't have to till up your whole yard. You also don't have to deal with the soil that you have in your yard. You can purchase soil and you can also purchase compost that you can put into the raised beds and then you're, again, just like in containers, you're choosing the soil in which to grow your vegetables and fruit. And I think so, I heard so, somebody say that um, you can correct almost any garden deficiency by raising the bed, <laughs> um, which is probably True. a good idea. <laughs> right, because you can because it warms up faster in the spring, and the drainage is better in a raised bed. There's lots of considerations. You can put water exactly where you want to put it with drip irrigation or soaker hoses. And, you know, raised beds are pretty easy to grow in. And so long as they're not too wide, I find them for some reason considerably easier and quicker to weed than um, a traditional bed. Oh, definitely. They're much, much easier to weed. Um, And for one thing, you can sit down and weed them. And if you make them four feet wide, which is pretty much the standard, then they aren't, you can reach to the middle. And so, well, I should say most people can reach to the middle. That's kind of the standard. If you go much wider than that, um, it makes them a lot harder and you might have to walk on them to compact the soil. And that's another issue with raised beds. They don't have compacted soil. So your plant's roots have room to grow and they don't get smashed. Yeah, and and I think when you add compost and things like that to them, they, they, it really en- enriches everything. Um, so square foot gardening is a very popular method of doing it that seems to have been revived. I mean, I think you first brought that out in the 80s, um, and I think, you know, they've just brought out yet a third edition of it. Um, is that a good method maybe to study if you're thinking of graduating to a raised bed in the backyard? I think it is a good method. I, I think if you're an accountant and you love numbers and you love dividing and multiplying, it's a really good method. <laughs> um, for me personally, it's, it is one form of biointensive gardening. Um, the idea of square foot gardening was created by Mel Bartholomew, of course. And um, I think he was one of the first ones to say we could grow a lot of food in a small space. But my problem with it is, is it's so rigid. You know, I don't, I don't really want to be told that I have to grow this exact number of tomato plants in this space. So I do biointensive gardening, but I don't follow the square foot method. Although in the book, I suggest where if you're, if you want to do that, um, if you have an engineering type mind and you really want to, there's lots and lots of websites, including Mel's website, um, where people have broken it down and figured it out to the point where you don't have to work real hard to figure out a square foot design. And I, I, I figured I, I did it one, I think, uh, the first year we were in Ohio. Um, and I, I studied it and I made all the plans and knew how, exactly how much, um, of each one. And I think the, the great thing is that, you know, you, it does restrict you from maybe just spreading, um, all the, um, lettuce seeds out in a, in a row and then taking all, all the, sort of to get them to one inch or three inch spacing. You harvest in, in them and ditch in them. Um, so, so it, it was a seed saver, but, when you when you make a plan, my problem was that nature didn't cooperate with my plan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, some, some things took longer to mature than they should have done. Um, some things grew bigger than I thought they were going to. Um, th- just th- things just didn't seem to work quite as well. You know, I may, maybe I had um, a pack of um, little onions, and I'd, I'd allocated maybe two squares which made 18 onions and this pack had 25 in it you know what do you do with them (laughs) right that's always an issue especially when you're using onion sets or potatoes for example 
So, it, you know, I think it's a really good method, and I, I, but I think there's lots of ways to biointensively garden, which means gardening in a small space. You can do it, and it's not, it's not hard, but, you know, there are certain considerations. So if you grow something tall, like say you grow indeterminate tomatoes, in my state, indeterminate tomatoes get huge. And so you need to make sure that they, you plant them in such a way that they don't block all your sunlight to, say, strawberries you're growing or some other plant that you're growing kind of beneath them. Yeah. Um, and so maybe, maybe um, they don't have um, maybe space in, in the backyard, um, but there's community gardens springing up all over the place. Um, are they a good option for young adults? I think they're a great option for young adults because if you don't have sunshine in your yard or, say, your home covenants won't let you grow things, if you join a community garden, you're not just getting a space and allotment in which to grow. You're getting all of the knowledge, the combined knowledge of that entire community garden. And I think one of the great things about community gardens is that they've made people um, communities again. They've made them neighborhoods again because, unfortunately, we come home from work and we sit down and we watch television or we knit and we don't see anybody else until we get up the next morning and we go back out to work. Um, community gardens have made whole neighborhoods become whole again. And I think that's one of the greatest things about a community garden. Plus, you can learn to swap seeds, which seeds work best in your area. It's a little like the neighbor chatting over the, over the garden fence. And I just love the idea. If I lived in town, I would be part of a community garden. In addition to my yeah. own garden. Oh yes, um, and, and I know that they're good for socialising um, with with other gardeners. But do do the older generations accept, um, and, and are they willing to learn from the, these younger gardeners too? Um, you know, I think they are because I interviewed um, four different community garden either managers or people who are involved in community gardening, and it seems to me that because the love of gardening is such a great thing, it stretches across the generations. And I think that older community gardeners want to have 20, 30-somethings in the garden with them. I think we, uh, even though I'm not an older gardener yet, I'm just, you know, in my 50s, 51, I think I can already see that if we don't change the way we communicate with the next generation, we, you know, some of this great gardening knowledge will be lost. And one of the first things I did when I would fall in love with a particular plant is join a garden club. And you learn more from garden club members than you do um, from any other type of stuff that you can study because they have knowledge about your area and they really do want to share it. I think maybe sometimes they're a, a little bit distrusting right at first, um, but I think it. I think once you smile and shake their hands and talk, you'll find you have much more in common than you think, whether it's a garden club or a community garden. And, and so certainly the 20, 30-somethings seem to have a little more energy than uh, some of the older ones. And as I used to say in the Herb Society, they have the younger backs, um, which yeah, helps. exactly, they do. They have the younger backs. But I think we have to be really careful not to just use them as, you know, forced labor to turn over all the beds that somebody neglected um, because then they'll get tired and they, or maybe making them, you know, the new volunteers for every single project. We have to just remember to treat them just like we would everybody else with the older backs too. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, that certainly is a good point. Um, so other limitations maybe, um, I mean, if, if somebody perhaps, perhaps wants to use, make, 
maybe do fruit, apple trees or, or grapevines. Um, what sort of options are there for, for those? Because community gardens typically are an annual crop. Um, so how would you deal, deal with maybe the fruit in that type of situation? Well, you know, some community gardens are about annual crops. But, for example, there's a great employee garden here in Oklahoma City, which is the city that's south of me. Um, the Chesapeake Energy created a garden for all of its employees. And although original allotments, you know, are set up so that you do annual crops, the whole entire property is bordered by um, espaliered fruit trees. And so they have an they have a beautiful alley of espaliered pear trees and they have all kinds of perennial stuff like they grow pomegranates, um, they do have grapes, um, they have blueberries. So I, I think as a whole the garden can have perennial plants too, and in fact, I would suggest that because I think they add a permanence to the garden that annual plants do not. And and of course, there'd be nothing uh, particularly with some. I don't know about the grapevines, but so some of those little apple trees you can actually keep in um, a container. And, and there are blueberries sure. that you, so you could may, maybe have the, those at home and most of the vegetables out in the community garden. Yes, you definitely can. You just have to remember to have, um, like for, with apples, you're going to need more than one variety. It either needs to be more than one variety grafted onto the little tree so that it gets cross-pollination. But, you know, there are small peach trees now. There's, they're making dwarf everything because more and more people are moving to having trees as decor. You know, just because you plant a tree in your front yard doesn't mean that it has to be um, just the standard tree, the, you know, shade tree. You can plant fruit trees in your front yard. Most, you know, most um, housing additions will let you do that. And the blossom on apple trees and peach trees is just beautiful. It's a, it matches it any beautiful. any other tree, I think. Uh, I do, too. I yes. think pear trees are pretty, but I, I don't really like the scent. But apple trees are wonderful, peach trees are wonderful, cherry trees are wonderful, and where I live we can grow sour cherries, which are great for pies. You know, no one, and they add a whole dimension to your yard. Some years I get a late frost, in fact, many years, so I may not have a peach crop, but I still love my peach trees and have learned to enjoy them simply for the blooms. Yeah, and 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 say I I love the the peach crop, um, but you know we need to take um, our final commercial break here. Uh, but come back, everyone, and listen to more about gardening with the twenty thirty somethings with T Nash on America's homegrown veggies, and we'll be back in just a moment. When gardening is part of your life, it brings so much: healthy eating, the freshest, most local produce, and playing in the dirt. At BonniePlants.com, you'll find all you need to succeed. When you grow Bonnie veggie and herb plants in beds or containers, you'll know where your food comes from. Homegrown veggies and herbs ready for cooking, eating, and enjoying. And you did it. So get growing with Bonnie Plants. Hi, I'm Paisley McDonald, and I'd like to invite you to listen to my show, At Home with Paisley, every week, Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern, for practical advice and stylish living for your home and office. Quick Stakes, that's 
Q-U-I-K steaks are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quicksteak.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of quick steaks. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's quick steaks, Q-U-I-K steaks, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. This is Michael Gano with Insight to Israel. Every day the Israeli Defense Force finds itself on the front line of the war with the militant arm of Islam. Surrounded by enemies from within and without, they fight for the only Jewish state. Military service is mandatory, ladies serving two years and men serving three right out of high school. While young people in other democracies are busy traveling or attending university, Israeli men and women gear up for basic training. In a world of heads of state, politicians, ambassadors, diplomats, and a leftist media, many times our voice at the grassroots level is drowned out. So we started an ongoing project called Hershey's for Heroes. Patriot conservatives from all over the U.S. are sending Hershey's chocolate bars with a note of thanks for defending Israel. Won't you join us by sending a sweet message to the IDF? For information, please see my Facebook page at Michael Gano. Thank you, God bless Patriot conservatives, and God bless Israel in her struggle for sovereignty and security. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. I hope you're enjoying America's homegrown veggie show this morning. We have been talking to D. Nash, whose new book, which is literally just hit the, sh- the shelves. Uh, congratulations, D. Um, because this is your first, is this your first book? This is my first book. Yeah, so. It's so, exciting. Oh, I would think so. So where do people find it? Okay, they can find it at um, Barnes & Noble. It's on Amazon.com. Um, I've heard it's coming into Books a Million. But if you don't see it on the shelves, ask for it um, because your local area store will bring things in if you ask for a specific book. And they assume that other gardeners are interested in it too. But you can definitely get it off of Amazon. I know my local bookstores carry it. And um, I'm doing some signings for them, in fact. Oh, great. Um, so so they, they invite you there and you can do book signings and you're hoping to attract that. And do, do, you, do you envision that this is going to be purchased by um, the 2030-something or by the parent to give to the 2030-something? I think it's going to be purchased by both. And I want to make clear that even though it's the 2030-something garden guide, it's for anybody who's a new gardener. It's not specific. You know what I mean? It can be... All of this stuff in it can be translated to anyone who's starting out. So a lot of people I know are buying it for themselves, even though they're not part of that generation because they write and tell me that they are. <laughs> I know. I've, I've thought about buying it for my kids uh, to get, get them into gardening. Um, but, but you have a, a blog as well, don't you? Uh, Red Dirt Ramblings, is that right? Red Dirt Ramblings is one of my blogs. I, have, um, I also have a website specifically for the 2030-something garden guide, and it's called that. So you can reach me there or on the Red Dirt Ramblings blog. 
And I'm also on uh, dnash.com and Great Garden Speakers, too, because I'm also a speaker. Okay. Um, and, and can they get the book maybe through your website or, or from Red Dirt uh, Ramblings? Can they, can they order the book directly through you, or do they have to go to these other places? Um, they can order the book directly through me. Um, I do have a badge on both websites where they can get it through Amazon. But if they want a signed copy, they can order it through me. And several people have you know come to me on Facebook. Um, I have pages on Facebook, and I also am personally on pa- Facebook. And they've messaged me specifically and asked me to send them a copy of the book. So we can do it both ways. And, of course, that way they get a signed book, right? Yes, that way they get a signed copy. And I've had several people do that. Oh, wonderful. And how, how about talks? Um, you said you're going down, down to the local bookstore um, to do a, a book signing. Do you do talks around the region, or are you planning a book tour across the southwest or the south? I'm actually doing um, some local talks in March and two local signings, and then I'm also doing um, a talk in Enid, Oklahoma, to the Garfield County Master Gardeners because – They asked me to come and do their keynote for a a project they're doing. And then I'm traveling to Augusta, Georgia, and Savannah, Georgia. I'm speaking at Augusta, Georgia at the Sacred Heart Garden Festival, and I'm um, going to do a book signing in Savannah, Georgia. And I just spoke at the Northwest Flower and Garden Show. So I'll speak nationally, and I also speak locally. I like to speak on gardening. I, I, I love Savannah. I wish I could come I down, down there to hear you because that would that would be a good excuse. Um, and and do, do you talk on other topics besides the 2030 Gardener? I do. I actually speak on social media and I speak on growing roses and growing plants that are easy to grow in difficult climates. I have several talks I do. And, and are, are they on, on the, the website so people could may, maybe go to the website and take take a look at the different talks? Yes, I am. I list all of my talks on dnash.com under the about section. And there's also going to be a media section soon. And then I'm on greatgardenspeakers.com and it lists all my talks there. And also the talks that I'm going to do are listed on amazon.com and Goodreads. I mean, if you can't find me, then you're not on the computer. <laughs> I'm everywhere. I'm on Twitter, you know, because I think we have to reach each other in a variety of ways anymore. The traditional methods don't always work. So I'm on Pinterest, too. Oh, oh, yes. And are, are there pictures maybe from the book on, on Pinterest and, and on your Facebook page and things to get people excited about the book? Yes, they're, they're on Pinterest. There's a whole um, board that's dedicated to the 2030-something garden guide. And then also um, on Flickr. You know, Flickr is a great photo-sharing site, and I have a whole section of pictures just for um, the 2030-something garden guide. And do you have 20 or 30, 30s um, sort of modeling on, on those <laughs> those pages as well? Yes, I do. I have several of them. Um, a good friend came out. And she and I gardened all day together, and I took some pictures of her. And then also um, my daughter's best friend. And there's a lot. In fact, the book is full of people from in their 20s and 30s. Oh, great. Um, and, and if somebody may, maybe wanted to invite you to do a talk for them, is there a way they can contact you maybe through the web page, or is the best thing to go through the Facebook page? How's the best way to get in touch with you? You can get, you know, here's the thing about Facebook. Um, if you contact me on either Red Dirt Ramblings or 2030-something and send a message to me there, I will get it. Unfortunately, Facebook has a policy now to try to keep spam down. 
if you if you and I aren't friends on Facebook and you send me a message, it may have, end up in the other column. So probably the best way to reach me is at reddirtramblings at gmail.com. That's also listed on all my websites, That's my, but that's my email for business, and a lot of people reach me that way. Okay. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's a, a great book. Um, there, there are three different sections in it. Is that right? Um, there's three different gardens, and then there's a community gardening section. So I guess there's four sections total. Okay. Um, and, and there's pictures all the way through it of different varieties. Uh, of uh, Are there your favorite varieties in there maybe that you, you would recommend? Yeah, except for the yeah, I've never grown that corn, but I actually have seen it. Although there is a picture of it on one of the pages because I saw it at Sunset Magazine's um, gardens, their test gardens. Um, favorite varieties, yes, lettuces. I love all of the heirloom lettuces. I love black seeded Simpson, um, speckled trout back, which is also called Forellischlis. I'm probably butchering that German word, but um, it's a wonderful, beautiful romaine lettuce. Um, I love bull's blood beets. Um, in the summertime, I, I do a whole variety of tomatoes. I probably do uh, 14 different kinds in any summer. Some of them are heirlooms, and some of them are um, hybrids, good hybrids that have good disease resistance because we have a lot of disease. And, of course, the uh, the, the, there's a lot of grafted ones coming out to, to maybe combat um, yes, that. that is yes. so exciting about the grafted tomatoes. I've heard really good things about them. I've yet to grow one. But I'm excited that they're doing that. What a what an interesting idea. Oh, I think I think so. Um, and I, I think you know when when, when people innovate like that. Um, I mean, I, I know they've done it for years for trees, um, but but just the whole concept of do, doing it on um, tomatoes, or and I believe they're do it doing uh, eggplants and maybe melons down the road, which I think yes, would be I great. I heard that they were going to try to do melons, and they think that's really exciting. Um, you know, they've done it for roses for years, and some roses do well on their own roots. But some roses just really need that rootstock to get them going. So I think the same thing with everyone I knew who tried the tomatoes said they were great. Yeah, um, and I, I'm trying trying quite quite a lot in in containers um, the, these days. Um, and one of my favorites, actually, I was doing a talk this past weekend, is um, a little cabbage. And I don't know whether you've tried this one. It's called Pixie pixie cabbage i haven't but how what a cute variety does it, how big of a head does it make a very small one probably mm-hmm. about a pound maybe pound and a half may, maybe about four or five inches across at most um and great for a small family right because you don't really need a big giant cabbage you don't need eight of those you know at one time so to get a very small cabbage that you could use for one meal and then say you had four of them, then that's four whole meals of cabbage. I think that's brilliant. Yeah, and it holds up well in the refrigerator. Um, so I've, I've actually, I'm growing that one again this year. The other one I'm trying is, um, and I haven't grown this before, is peas in a pot. And it's a, a pea that's basically for a container, which I think will be very exciting if, if it's prolific enough to be um, worth it. Yeah, so that you can get a, is it a potted pea that you eat or is it a shelling um, pea? It's a shelling pea, I believe. A shelling pea. Wow. If you could get a shelling pea that did well in a container and you got enough of a crop that you could actually eat several meals with it, that would be awesome. Oh, yes. And peas, and I think between peas, tomatoes, and strawberries, when they're so fresh, they do make, those are probably my favorite three that, um, it really makes a difference when they're a minute or two old versus 3,000 miles and four days old. Oh, I think so too. I think strawberries, 
don't taste the strawberries that you grow warmed by the sun taste nothing like the strawberries in the store and peas are the same way because i still grow peas i grow alaska in my raised beds but it's you know it's a pretty tall pea and it wouldn't be very suitable for containers. Yeah, and I, and I th- but I think there are there are lots of options out there now for containers. So the, these folk, folks that may, mm-hmm. maybe are trying um, containers, I say, particularly the demographic that you're you're addressing with this, um, may, maybe this is a, a response to all the people that are growing in in uh, containers and maybe small small properties. Well, we know that gardening is more urban than it ever has been. You know, people don't live out in the country so much anymore, so they have smaller places to grow, and they need, you know, the hybridizers have figured out that they need to create things that um, people can use in small spaces, and I think they're really addressing that. They probably started 10 years ago. And, and I think if you go to most of the ma- major um, websites uh, for for seeds and things, um, I think if you put in container, you do get all the um, – they'll, they'll congregate all in, all in one area all the varieties that have been bred for that are small rather than the yeah. right if you just say search container gardening seeds or even vegetable seeds you'll get a whole plethora of varieties that you can find just for containers and you're right most of the big seed companies do it and i want to be clear that um a, several of those seed companies are not affiliated in any way with genetically modified crops so just because something is a hybrid does not mean it's genetically modified. I think um, especially this next generation is a little bit confused about those definitions, and it's understandable. So um, hybrids aren't all bad. Sometimes hybrid tomatoes do better in my climate than heirlooms yes. do. Unless it's an that's selected from the Yeah, that is is an important point. And a lot of them have been patented, which is is good. Um, But, uh, but, you know, we we will have to – we're almost at the end of the show, Dee. Um, But uh, I want to thank you for being a guest on America's Homegrown Veggie Show. Well, thank you so much yes. for having me. I just really well, enjoyed great. it. Well, great. And, and the book is The 2030s Guide to Something, something Garden Guide. Uh, good, good luck with that. It's, it's right fresh on the market, what, in Mar- middle of March, I believe it came out. Is that right? No, actually, it's already out. It came out um, middle of February. So it was one of the first books oh, to come Oh, great. Out. Well, we have to leave it there. Good luck with the book, Dee. Um, we're right at the end of the show, everyone. I want to thank you for listening to America's Homegrown Veggie Show this morning. Thank you to Bonnie Plants for sponsoring the shows. And thank you, Dee. You've been a great guest this morning. We will be back next week with another show talking all about growing veggies. Have a good gardening week, everyone, and join me back here next Saturday. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.